0: This is a Triple J podcast.
1: <laughs>
0: hey, it's Dave Marchese. This is the Hack Podcast. I'm asking what we need to do to fix higher education in this country, in this podcast. What do you think? Like, if you had the power to do anything, would it be a massive overhaul of hex, changing that indexation thing, or paying students for compulsory placements so they're not struggling while they're learning? Or would you suggest more financial support to help people from poorer backgrounds study in the first place? Could it be all of those things and a lot more? We're going to be exploring that in this podcast because we're getting into a massive report that's been released this week. You might have heard the biggest review of universities in decades. It's recommending big changes, including all of those things. Will the government listen? We've got the education minister on later to ask him. First, though, a story that has been gripping the country.
1: Hack. I
0: mean, they both seem so happy, in love. On Triple J. Yeah, it started off last week as a search for two Sydney guys in who had gone missing, but quickly turned into something a lot darker. There's a lot we don't know about what happened to Luke Davies and Jesse Baird, a couple in their 20s last seen a week ago. What we do know is a police officer's been charged with their murders, A triple O call was allegedly made minutes after neighbours say they heard shots fired and investigators are frantically searching for Luke and Jesse's bodies. Every day, new details are being released. So what do we know? Angel Parsons has this update and a warning you may find this story distressing.
2: Outside a share house in Paddington in Sydney's eastern suburbs, bunches of flowers line the front fence.
0: It's now really a a place of tribute uh, with these flowers. And in fact, just moments ago, we saw another flower tribute being laid outside the home here in the inner eastern suburb of Paddington.
2: Now, a crime scene, but once the home of former Channel 10 presenter Jesse Baird. He and his partner, flight attendant Luke Davies, were allegedly murdered last week.
1: He was one of those kids that lit up. <laughs> Not just not just the um, the scream,
2: but also a room. He just had this big, beautiful smile. This is Sarah Harris, a former Studio 10 host who worked with Jesse.
1: Speaking of Luke Davies, he described him as the one uh, to, to some of his closest friends. He was in love. And my heart just aches for not only Luke's family, but also Jesse's family, his mum, his sister, his brother, his grandmother, who he was very close with. And... Um, You need to to know um, to Jesse's family that he spoke about you often and with so much love and we're we're just all so, so sorry.
2: On Friday, police charged a police officer with their murders and that man is currently in custody, 28-year-old Constable Beau Lamar Condon, who police say is also a former partner of Jesse. Today, the search for the bodies of the couple widened, including to a property at Bungonia, almost 200 k's away from the house in Sydney. Come on, Speaking at a press conference, New South Wales Deputy Police Commissioner David Hudson detailed the timeline and sequence of events that police are investigating. So here's what police say they will allege in court. Last Monday, neighbours heard gunshots from the Paddington home. Police say they will allege in court that's when Bolamar Lamar Condon killed both men using a police-issued gun. They say they'll seek to prove there was a lot of blood found at the house. Later that evening, it's alleged Bo Lamar Condon hired a white van from Sydney Airport. On Wednesday, police say bloodied clothes were found in a skip bin in Cronulla in Sydney's south. That's when police launched a missing persons investigation into Luke and Jessie's disappearance. Police then say that they'll seek to prove in court that on Wednesday, Bolamar Condon went to the property at Bungonia, two hours southwest of Sydney near Goulburn, with an acquaintance. And police divers have also been called in to help, searching several dams. There is a swarm of police and media who are here waiting to see what, if anything, police can find. On Friday, Bo Lamar Condon turned himself in to the Bondi police station. He was arrested, charged with two counts of murder, and appeared in court briefly on Friday night. Prior to his career in the force, Constable Lamar Condon was a celebrity chaser who snapped selfies with the likes of Miley Cyrus, Lady Gaga, Harry Styles and Taylor Swift.
3: Hey Ben, we're here at the Sydney premiere for The Secret Life of Cities. What do we expect from this film? You can expect it to be uh, in colour and to have sound and music and dialogue.
2: Police are now calling for information from the public. There are missing gaps in the timeline for us. And New South Wales police also say the system of police accessing and storing firearms will be independently reviewed by Victoria's Police Commissioner.
3: This is Hack on Triple J
0: angel parsons with that update we are going to keep you across this as we learn more and if you do want other extra updates abc news has the latest on this
3: story as well hack public sector industries are relying heavily on the unpaid labor of students of a student workforce
1: on triple j ah
0: expensive elitist not what australia needs to prosper That's what a massive new report into the uni sector says will happen if we don't make some changes. The Universities Accord dropped yesterday. We've been talking about it for years, this big review into the uni sector, the biggest in decade, and it is huge, 400 pages, 47 recommendations, covering everything from student safety to research funding. It says we need to double the number of students who take on TAFE or uni or risk Australia falling behind. It also makes other big recommendations about hex, help. Also student placements. Maybe getting paid for those. In a sec, we're gonna to speak to the Federal Education Minister Jason Clare to ask what the government thinks and what they want to act on, if anything. But first, here's Shalala Madora breaking down what is in this report.
4: Starting uni for the first time can be super lonely. Even more so if you've had to move to study or are the first person in your family to ever take on further study. Events like beers and board games, organised by the University of Melbourne Student Union, aim to make it a bit less daunting. Students are here just making, trying to make ends meet, which is resulting in not having time for friends, for themselves, for family. Disha Zuchi from the union says uni is especially hard if you come from a disadvantaged background. The rising cost of education is a big barrier for all students. Disha says if we want more First Nations students, students from low economic backgrounds and students with disability in the uni system, we need to support them properly. We want to make sure that there is representation from all of them um, and that comes with providing all types of aid and that's not just fees. That Disha, she might be onto something because increasing access to uni for disadvantaged students is the basis of recommendations in a massive review into the tertiary education sector. It's because equity is so central to this review. It's called the University's Accord, and that's the head of the inquiry, Mary O'Kane. The review says that we need to double the number of people in tertiary education by 2050 if we want to meet skills shortages and remain competitive internationally. And most of that will come from disadvantaged groups who are struggling in the system at the moment. The growth is going to have to rely heavily on equity students wanting to go to university, being qualified to go, and succeeding at university. To do that, she reckons we need to shake up the way uni is funded and move towards a needs-based system. In other words, unis that offer spots for people who need extra support should be given extra funding. There also needs to be free prep courses for people getting into uni. There's a recommendation for additional support for students from disadvantaged backgrounds after they've enrolled. Because equity students often drop out in the early stages. To boost completion rates, the report recommends increasing welfare payments by making youth allowance easier to access, offering payments to part-time students, and helping with the cost of relocating. Then there's this idea for a jobs broker, which would help them find work close to their area of study, which also, hopefully, if professional bodies give it credit, would help towards their requirements for things like placement.
5: Mr Speaker, that the The job-ready package is working.
4: And hey, remember a few years ago when the coalition government introduced this thing called the Job-Ready Graduate Program? And
5: Mr Speaker, you might recall that this
4: package... The aim of that was to lower the price of degrees in areas of skill shortages while hiking the cost of law, communications and arts degrees. The report found that program didn't work. As can happen in life, one can run experiments that flop, and that flopped. There's also huge changes recommended for student loans like HECS and HELP. There are some of the issues of HECS needed, a definite tweaking. The report says student loan contributions should be made based on potential future earnings. So people studying in areas of skill shortages that might not make a lot of cash going forward aren't lumped with huge debts they'll never pay off. The report also says the timing of indexation, which can mean that interest is applied to loans that may have already been paid off, has to change and that indexation should be kept in line with either the Consumer Price Index or Wage Price Index, whichever is lower of the two. Here at Hack, we've heard you loud and clear when you've told us that unpaid uni placements are pushing you to the brink of poverty.
3: People have to drop out of work, they have to lose income, they may not be able to pay rent, Uh, they'd be living paycheck to paycheck.
4: And it seems authors of the Uni Accord have heard that too. It recommended that all placements are paid for by either governments or the private sector. Co-founder of Students Against Placement Poverty, James Sheriff, said that's a good start. But he's concerned that workplaces will just stop offering placements if they have to pay.
3: If there's not secure government funding across all degrees, then we see that being a a bit of an issue with industries choosing to allocate a certain amount of funding or withdraw um, potentially as conditions change.
4: The review also says all workplaces should sign a code of conduct to make sure their placements are up to scratch and necessary. James thinks that's great because too many employers have been using unpaid work to plug skill shortages.
3: That's a pretty serious weight to put on a student who is not even being paid and, of course, is meant to be learning on this placement. Pack on Triple J.
0: Shalala Madora with that update. Some big stuff in there. I'm keen to hear what you think. What's in this university's accord? Do you like the recommendations being made? Message in, 043975755, already getting some messages. Caleb from Hobart says, unpaid internships shouldn't be allowed, especially for health students. I was paid for my three-month engineering internship, so why aren't they? Someone else says, unis want and need more students but refuse to address the major issue of fees. Fees are ridiculous and hex debts are outrageous, yet they wonder why people are preferring to opt out of uni and just work. Well, let's dig into some of this detail now with the guy who's in charge of doing something with all of these suggestions. Jason Clare is the Education Minister and he's with us now from Canberra Parliament House. Minister, welcome back to Good G'day, mate. It's great to be here. This university's accord, it's made 47 recommendations. How many of those is the government going to commit to?
5: This is a big report. You know, It's a blueprint for higher education, not just for the next couple of years. It's a blueprint for the next two decades. And it's not about saying what we'll do and what we won't do Dave, uh, what the report says is you've got to stage these reforms out over two decades. So what I'm doing at the moment is looking through all of the recommendations, getting feedback from people, costing them, working out what are the things that we need to do first.
0: Okay, is there one specific priority you have though? Because you have had this report for a few months. So is there one thing that you can say, yep, I think that's a good option, we're going to
5: go with that? Well, I think I've made it clear, I think we've talked about this before too, mate, that my priority is making sure that more kids from the outer suburbs and the regions and more young people from poor families get a crack at going to university. At the moment, almost one in two young people have a university degree. I mean, young people in their 20s and 30s, but not everywhere, not where I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney, not in the regions, not in the bush. And this report says that if we're going to have the workforce we need in the future, we need to fix that. And it says we need to break down that artificial barrier between TAFE and uni, make it easier to move between the two. And it also says we need to get rid of that invisible barrier that stops... A lot of young people from the outer suburbs, from the regions, from poorer families, from ever getting to uni in the first place, and then make sure that we help them succeed when they get there.
0: Okay. Well, what about increasing welfare payments for students? Because the review, the review says income support payments for students have not kept pace with wages or the needs of students, and that's resulted in a smaller proportion of students now receiving some income support. Does that mean it is likely that you will boost support for students to try and get more people from disadvantaged backgrounds into
5: uni? It's got a handful of recommendations there to help more young people get into university and stay there. Uh, So one of the recommendations in the report is about fee-free university courses, those sort of bridging courses that you do that you don't have to pay for at university but can help to make sure you succeed when you get there. The report also recommends changes with student income support, also talks about paid placement for teaching students and nursing students and social work students. And then it says that we should think about a needs-based funding model. Extra funding is provided for the students that need it most and completion bonuses for universities who invest in the right way and help to boost the number of students who finish their degree. So we're looking at all of that. Okay, because to
0: be clear, and you mentioned a few of those areas just then, but this review says the urgent action requires a whole of student focus on learning and teaching, affordable student housing, assistance with finding employment, uh, income support where relevant, as opposed to simply enrolling disadvantaged students into a course and hoping they succeed. I mean, it sounds like you really need to address all of
5: those issues to tackle this massive problem. Well, it also says this. We're not going to fix this. We're not going to hit that target if we just rely on reforms at the university gate once somebody turns 18 or once somebody goes to university. At the moment, the percentage of people finishing high school is going down, not up. Not everywhere, but in public schools and particularly young people from poorer backgrounds, from poor families. And there's a link between those young people who aren't finishing high school and the, and the kids who are falling behind at primary school. It's all connected.
0: I mean, you've already flagged some changes need to happen for cost of living relief straight away. Can we expect to see a change to
5: indexation, for example, of HEX and HELP in this year's budget? The, uh, the report talks about changes to indexation. It also talks about changes to repayments. When you have a look at what the report says about HEX or what we now call help. It says that it's a good system, that it's helped to increase the number of young people at university and that's certainly true. What it says is we need to make HEX fairer and simpler. It recommends changes to indexation but it also recommends changes to repayments. And So will you the, be making changes in those areas? We'll be looking at all of that one recommendation in this report, which is about changes to repayments for people on lower incomes, you say if you're on $75,000 a year, it would mean your repayments would be about $1,000 less a year. And that's just one of the things that we're looking at as we consider all of these recommendations over the next few weeks and months. So you back that idea of
0: paying less for your study if you're not going to earn as much in the long term, that's something that you
5: support? Dave, we're not responding to the report now. You know, this is a, a massive report that's been put together by Professor Mary O'Kane and the team. And I've said that we're going to judiciously look through all of these recommendations, get feedback from Universities, from students, from everybody else over the next few weeks and months, and then we'll respond with the first steps in implementing this report.
0: OK, this is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Education Minister Jason Clare about this big review into universities, the final report being made public. A lot of people have been waiting for this. It's now out there, and we're asking the Education Minister about some of the recommendations. Minister, another huge thing is obviously student placements. This report recommends financial support for compulsory workplace. This is a massive issue for young Australians. Do you think students need to be paid for placements?
5: Oh, and we've talked about this before, mate. This strikes me as a good idea. I've spoken to lots of teaching students, lots of nursing students about what is effectively placement poverty. Big part of your degree for a teaching student, it's 600 hours. For a nursing student, it's 800 hours. It can mean that you have to move to do the prac, quit the paid part-time job to do the unpaid prac and can lead to people sometimes not finishing the degree. Only 54% of students who start a teaching degree finish it. If we can boost that number, and part of it is making sure that the course is better aligned with what what students need once they get into the classroom, but part of it could be this in terms of supporting students while they do their prac, then that can go a long way not just helping students with the cost of living, but also helping to tackle that teacher shortage crisis that we've got.
0: I mean, the review found that there should be government support for nursing care, teaching placements, addressing that skills shortage that you were speaking about. I'm just wondering, though, when, when we see government support, do you think that there's likely to be a fight there about which government, between federal and state governments, who should fund this, where the money's going to come from?
5: Look, perhaps, uh, but you know, I know from talking to state education ministers, they get this too. They understand exactly how important this is. The report says that we need to work as governments on things like this. It also says we need to work with industry and in other areas where there's mandatory placement, where work-integrated learning is a key part of the degree.
0: There's some big targets in this report, calling for 80% of workers to have tertiary education qualifications by 2050, uh, more than doubling the number of uni places to 1.8 million in 2050. Minister, do you reckon those goals are
5: achievable? Um, We're not going to hit those targets unless we embark on reform, which is about making sure we've got a better and a fairer education system in our schools and in early education, along with higher education. The reason I'm asking whether these are achievable is
0: because there's a lot of excitement about this report, about what the recommendations that have been put out there. It's not the first review into unis, though, and there was one, you know, more than a decade ago that recommended lifting participation rates of people from disadvantaged backgrounds, but we're still having those conversations Mm. years Mm. later. Why should young Australians have faith that this is going to be any different?
5: Well, you're talking about the Bradley Review, the work that Denise Bradley did. A lot of good things came out of Denise's work, uh, including increasing the proportion of young people with a university degree to, uh, you know, up to that 45% level. They, they set a target of 40 and, it, and exceeded it.
0: But it didn't increase the number of people from disadvantaged backgrounds. No, though.
5: no, 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 that, that's, that's exactly right. We haven't shifted the dial there. I guess the key thing here, we haven't talked about some of the architecture that sits behind this report. What it's recommending is that in addition to the things we've talked about, that you establish a tertiary education commission to help to drive and sustain reform over the long term. You know, over the next 20 years, there'll be lots of ministers, there'll be lots of different governments, there'll be lots of different university vice chancellors. And so you can get started on big reform and then there's a change of government and reforms get upended. What this is recommending is that you need a steward here to help drive change over, over the next decade and the decade after that, what it calls a tertiary education commission. And again, that strikes me as a good idea here to make sure that we drive the sort of reform that's needed. Do you expect that the government is going to have some announcements,
0: some action on some of these recommendations before the election?
5: Oh, I, I've, I've said that we will respond to this in the next few months. There are already some recommendations here that we've acted on. So on Friday, uh, I announced that we would establish a national... Uh, independent student ombudsman to act uh, where universities haven't in areas like sexual assault and sexual harassment on campuses that's a long time coming it's happening now there was recommendations in that interim report about setting up more university hubs in the bush in the regions and in the outer suburbs we're doing that too so reform is underway and in the next few months, I'll be announcing the first stage of our response to this, the final report of the University's Accord.
0: And just finally, Minister, I mean, the last couple of years for students across the board have been so rough in terms of cost of living, in terms of feeling like they're really getting bang for their buck, the COVID years, all of it. How do you convince young Australians that it's an investment worth making? What's your pitch to really boost these participation rates, which is what you're trying to do?
5: How do you do that? I, I tell everyone that's at uni now and everyone that's thinking about whether they go to uni or TAFE that going to uni makes you money. It does. It is so worth it. And if you doubt me, ask somebody else that's been to university and ask them if they regret going because the evidence is that a person with a university degree makes on average $30,000 a year more than somebody whose last year of education was year 12 at high school. So this makes you money. It sets you up for the future. It opens your mind to new possibilities as well. In the years ahead, we're going to need more people to go to TAFE or to go to university. Otherwise, we're going to have an economy with a handbrake on. We're not going to be that productive, bold country that we want us to be. We're not going to be the country of our imagination we can make that real but we've got to make sure that we build the skills we need for the next decade and the decade after that and a lot of that work happens in our TAFEs and happens in our universities all
0: right education minister jason claire appreciate you coming on hack
5: good on you thanks mate
0: we still got a lot of messages coming through on the text line shay says i'm a fourth year primary education student and my uni refuses to allow students to be paid for their 10-week placement even if the school offers Jess says, I did 800 placement hours. If I got paid $20 minimum wage, that's sixteen grand. It should be taken off my HEX debt. That's what Jess thinks. And another person says, as a teacher, I think governments need to work on the attitudes towards education. If they want more people in uni... They need to work on people seeing value in wanting to go to uni as well as reducing fees and help with placements. That was from Alex. Well, let's get more of a student's perspective on all of this. Grace Franco is with the National Union of Students. She's been listening to the minister and she's with us now. G'day, Grace. Thanks for coming on, Hack.
1: Hello. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: What did you make of what the minister had to say? I mean, hasn't really committed to anything yet, but definitely responded to that big report.
1: Yes, so it is one of our major concerns as the National Union of Students is that we need to have the report that's just come out turn into action that is done by the government so that students can be at university and enjoy being at university. I think one of the big issues that we have at the moment is that if we need to wait 20 years... (laughs) It won't be a very long time to see change and I really hope that I still won't be at university in 20 years.
0: Well, I hope you are
1: too, Grace.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's it's a fair point and people are saying this. They're saying on the text line, I'm just reading the messages, we want to see action now, like we don't have time to wait. Uh, What do you think needs to be the biggest priority? If I tell you about what's on the text line, a lot of it is to do with placements. It's people saying, if I've got a compulsory placement, I need to be paid for it. Like, I can't afford to do this placement and not get any money. What else is the big priority that students are talking to you about every day?
1: Yeah, so we at the NUS have a few major priorities in terms of what we want to push through with the Accords process, Um, and that's mostly revolving around student poverty. Um, We not only talk about placement poverty in that, but we talk about reversing the Job Ready Graduates package. We talk about student support, um, particularly lowering the age of Centrelink independence so that students can access youth allowance. Um, And we obviously talk about students' poverty in general like we know from the ACOS report of last year that there's over 419,000 students oh sorry young people living in poverty
0: yeah it's uh, it's definitely a huge issue we're hearing about now also people responding to the education minister saying going to university earns you money someone on the text line says uni doesn't make you money it earns you debt I regret going to uni I'm now starting a trade that's someone's opinion there what about um, that idea of a jobs broker, Grace? Did you see that in terms of helping find students uh, work close to where they study? Do you think that would be a good idea?
1: So it is a good idea in terms of helping set students up for the workforce, but I would really strongly like recommend people consider the fact that students shouldn't need to work full-time or part-time even if they're also studying full time, it's, it's really dangerous to go down a path of forcing students into the workforce too early. Um, being at university, part of it is having that culture around you and having the supports and building the connections with other students. So if you're never on campus because you're working, then that will have a, have a negative impact on your university experience.
0: Do you think that people understand how tough it is being a student at the moment? Like we we hear a bit about it in the media, obviously politicians respond to it, talk about it in interviews like that. What do you think about what's known about being a student in this day and age, post COVID, in this cost of living crisis?
1: I think if you talk to any student, they'll be more than happy to tell you their struggles. We at the NUS hear about it a lot and we know that unions on individual campuses also hear it a lot. I think one of the things that um, always gets me is that a lot of the people making these recommendations and government reforms um, and and creating the legislation that affects students today had a free education when they were at university. Um, And so it's not often that they can relate to having a big hex debt or being a part of the cost of living crisis when it's like if you're... um, Wanting to rent a house um, last year, the the Angler Care report said that there was four hundred and sixty, no sorry, forty six thousand rental listings, and zero percent of them were affordable to students. Yeah. So. No,
0: it's just uh, difficult. The, yeah, and and we cover those figures a lot, and I I think sometimes they seem like just numbers, but they're people's lives, as you say. We appreciate you really kind of giving your response to that, breaking that down. Grace Franco from the National Union of Students. Thank you very much for joining us on Hack.
1: Thanks for having me. Hack
0: on Triple Jack. And more messages coming through on this. Someone says universities need government funding so they don't hike prices. Social services organisations cannot afford to pay social work students. Another person says I had to drop out of nursing because I had to choose between paying rent or going to a four-week placement. And someone else says paid placements are a must. In healthcare, the extensive unpaid placement is a huge hurdle. It's not possible to pay the bills while doing unpaid placements lot of thoughts there. We're going to stay on this one. We know it's a huge issue for you. We'll be keeping across it and keeping the government accountable as we head up to that election. They've promised a response. We'll be asking them for it. That is all we've got time for on this podcast for now. I'll catch you next time.